This is DMOU, Destination Marketing Organization University, the DMO Sectors Podcast, and I'm your host, Bill Geist. DMOU is where you hear the best and the brightest in the destination marketing space, sharing innovative and compelling stories to inspire you to take your destination and organization to the next level. Today's episode is sponsored by our friends at Carvertize. Last fall, when Visit Lake Charles wanted to target Austin, Texas with its culinary travel campaign, it used a secret ingredient, and that was a fleet of rideshare vehicles covered with tantalizing images of Lake Charles. And while those cars cruised the streets of Austin, Lake Charles saw a 65% increase in web visitors from the Austin area and an 8% bump in overnight and restaurant sales year over year. Carvertize has helped hundreds of national brands and DMOs extend their messaging to where people live through a fleet of over a half a million wrapped Uber and Lyft cars. And you can send those cars to this summer's biggest events. Place your brand and message front and center this summer with Carvertize. Check out the video at carvertize.com slash brands and look for them at the Destinations Florida Marketing Summit in Orlando later this month. And now it's on to our show. Chris Lewis is the Director of Destination Development with Tourism Kelowna. He has been working in the tourism industry in British Columbia for 17 years. He currently sits on the Tourism Industry Association of British Columbia Board of Directors and is involved with several of the committees at Destinations International, including Advocacy, 30 Under 30 Alumni, Global Leadership, and the Community Connections Task Force. He is an alumnus of the University of British Columbia and has lived in the Okanagan Valley of British Columbia most of his life. Outside of his passion for the industry, Chris enjoys spending time outside with friends, family, and his two kids, Madison and Bowen. Chris Lewis, welcome to DMOU. Hello, Bill. How are you? I am great. Brother, you are one of the hardest working people in DMO world. I saw you talk about your visitor information center last October in advocacy, and here we are. I asked you while we were there, I said, let's get you on the show, and here we are. Several in spring. Right? <laughs> <laughs> but I am so glad we got you on the show. And uh, it really was one of those moments where I'm sitting in the audience and you were speaking and I went, okay, this is a whole different way of viewing visitor information centers. And I can't yeah. tell you, we probably get a request or a, a question here in the DMO Pro's office at least once a week about the future viability of visitor information centers, welcome centers, just information centers, mm-hmm. because, and you've heard it a million times, people will say, why do you need a visitor information center when all that information is on my mobile device? Yep. So here's your first question. Like a number of the new philosophies behind information centers, and yours is really not a visitor center because you say that almost half of your patrons are local. Yep. You've designed yours, you say, to be a community hub. Yeah. So tell us more about the thought process behind that and how this has evolved well beyond just an information center. Absolutely. So as a community hub, like to Tourism Kelowna, we feel that visitors to our community are just temporary locals. They want to engage and, and see the community the same way that our residents do. Mm-hmm. So if we can build a space that our own community visits and enjoys, we know that those that are visiting here are going to enjoy it and utilize the services there as well. You mentioned the the relevance of visitor centers. This is a a question we talked about a lot before building a visitor center that cost us almost $3 million. And we said, yes, people can find information online. And I survey um, students when I talk at our local college and university quite a lot. And I say, how many of you look up a destination online before you travel there? Almost everyone in the audience raises their hands. Sure. And then you say to them, how many of you actually trust that information that you're reading online? 
maybe two or three people in the room will raise their hands. Really? And so what we found is as a visitor center, that is what people want. They want to come and talk to a local resident and find out what is your favorite thing? What do you like to do? What are the secret corners of the community that you like to visit? And so we have to be careful because we can't give away every secret corner or the residents will be very upset with us. <laughs> but um, it really is about finding that relevance and actually giving them the information that they're looking for. Because you're right, other things you can find online. But back to the community hub part, we found a location was that, which was actually... Um, a combination between our city and our visitor center task force at the time, right in the heart of downtown on a busy waterfront pathway. And we said, you know what? We're going to go for foot traffic. Research that we have, there's 116 visitor centers in the province of British Columbia, and we can access statistics for most of them. And we reached out to busy visitor centers in other places. And we heard those that focus only on rubber tire traffic were either kind of maintaining a steady amount of traffic or decreasing. And so we wanted to be where the people were. Yeah. And then we started to say, hey, what are people looking for when they're experiencing our community in this place? So we added public restrooms. We have events that take place. We have a patio where people can sit and enjoy an ice cream. And then another part of it is we involved over now 115 different local consignment suppliers in our retail program, which really gets the community engagement involved because the artists are people they know yeah. or someone they see at the farmer's market. And now they can see them there being showcased in the visitor center as well. Well, let's go a little farther on the whole merch conversation yeah. because we had Jennifer from Augusta, Georgia on, I don't know, a year or so ago, and they found great success with locals wanting to buy Augusta swag yep. for holidays or birthday gifts or whatever it may be. Tell us, yours takes it like a step further because you're really using local artisans. Right. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when we, I mentioned, we, we took on the construction of this building, we said, well, as a not-for-profit, we need to pay back that mortgage. Yeah, and so right. we were obviously looking for revenue generating ideas for when the, the building opened. And I'll say, like, when we were in our previous location, we barely had a retail program to speak of. I'm pretty sure most of the retail we had actually said tourism Kelowna on it, which no one really wants to yeah. buy. Um, and so we had this big, hairy, audacious goal of making $100,000 in gross retail sales in our first calendar year. And we had no idea how to do that. So we hired a local retail consultant and started partnering with local vendors. When we launched in our first year, we far beat our goal, but we continued to add more local vendors and consignment suppliers. And it was actually really the pandemic that accelerated that. We went from like 30 different local artisans and things. And we now have over 115 because we decided, hey, we have an online store. Eventually we did have our in-person presence again. Let's help these people succeed when they need it the most. Mm -hmm. um, and so we started bringing on artists. We created a feature artist program. Um, we have an indigenous consignment program. We have many different types of local food, but everything has to somehow tie back to our community and help tell a sense of place. And it really exploded. Like when people need corporate gifts, when realtors have new clients coming here, people come and shop in the Kelowna Visitor Center because they know they're supporting local. And I think it makes them a little bit more comfortable too, knowing that we are not for profit. So it's not like we are mm -hmm. profiting hugely on this. It pays for the building and everything else goes back to these, these local suppliers. So you've got a new sense of relevance with the people who actually create the experience, yep. your artisans and co-creators in the community. But I'm guessing you also have an, a higher degree of relevance just to 
community leaders. Yeah. And not that you didn't in the past, but we were working with a, a small bureau uh, in the Midwest that, as you said, out on the interstate, you know, tire traffic, numbers were dropping like a stone. And yep. anecdotally, that's what I'm hearing all over North America is if you're out by the interstate, yeah, it probably made sense 10, 15, 20 years ago, but it really is about foot traffic now. Yep. When they moved their visitor center downtown across the street from the outdoor amphitheater, yep. there are people in this community that didn't know there was a destination marketing organization. And Absolutely. sadly, some community leaders that I interviewed when they sat down with me, they say, why am I here? And I said, well, we're here to uh, get your impressions of the future of this community for the strategic plan that the destination marketing organization is about to embark upon. Mm -hmm. And they go, we have one of those? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it, because it was out you know, on the interstate and there wasn't a presence downtown that people yep. would see on a regular basis. So I think it works on so many different levels. So as great as a win as this has been, you say this was a highly controversial touch-and-go project. Residents, in the beginning, as you began down this road, were questioning why anybody needed a center. They were questioning the relevance of the DMO. Yep. You said you came very close to losing your social license, but then you got it back. So for those that are new to the concept, define for us social license, and then tell us the story of how you brought this project home. Absolutely, yes. So social license is really, it's the acceptance from our community to operate as a tourism and hospitality industry in the community and location and destination. Um, we've heard cases all over the world of this license being lost. And some of those are like mm -hmm. over tourism in Barcelona and parts of Italy and, and all sorts of different things where the tourism industry loses that social license because residents start pushing back and saying, hey, we don't want people here. This is our place. This is our home. The people that are coming here maybe aren't treating it correctly. Yeah. There's too many of them, whatever it might be. So you need to make sure that social license is there. Kind of a point that you just made as a destination organization, most of what we do is targeted outside of our community. So the welcome center or visitor center, if you have one, really becomes the face of the organization because yeah. it's the only thing that people see in market. It's my department's role to look after people once they are here in market or if they are residents. But most of what the rest of our organization does really is outward facing. So we saw this as an opportunity to really explain to the community what we do as an organization. And it's not always just about tax revenue and heads and beds and all that kind of stuff. A lot of residents don't either understand that or care because it doesn't directly affect them. So when we began looking at construction of the new visitor center, there was this misconception that the city and the municipality was actually paying for its construction and development and, and things like that. And people didn't really understand that Tourism Kelowna as a separate society was actually taking that on. And so right off the get-go, there was this kind of pushback of, hey, we don't want to spend our tax money on that. And then we were being located in a, a central downtown location that actually used to be a waterfront parking lot, funny enough. And it kind of became the opportunity to tell this story of, hey, it's currently a waterfront parking lot. We're going to turn it into a city amenity in that it will have this visitor center that is for both residents and visitors. And all around the building is going to become park space that we didn't have before. Even with all of our storytelling and trying to prove our relevance and, and things like that, we still had residents coming in for the first at least a year. I would say we'd get, for the first few months, it was one a day minimum. After that, it was at least a few weeks saying, 
oh, this is what my tax money paid for, or I really didn't want to see this building here and, and things like that. But that point, it became an education opportunity to say, actually, mm -hmm. it wasn't city funds that paid for it. Tourism Clone did this as a not-for-profit society. You can see we have this little sponsorship wall over here where we had some private business support. And then it was talking about the numbers and, and what a great success our location really became. In our highway location, our last calendar year that we were there was 2017. We had just over 17,000 people come into that visitor center location. Mm -hmm. 2019 was our first full calendar year in our new location because 2018 was the changeover year. We had more than 320,000 people come through the doors wow. of the Kelowna Visitor Center in 2019. Wow. Now imagine the shock of our team. <laughs> like we, we saw more people in a month than we used to see in an entire year. Yeah. If I remember correctly, in 2019, we had like four or five days where there was more than 4,000 people come in in one single day. That's crazy. And at that point, it was like, how do we make sure that everyone is, that's coming into this building is receiving the service that we want to deliver as an organization? And so we started looking at, we had a Google Home that people could ask questions to and all sorts of different things for people to interact until we had a volunteer or a staff member that could give them that service that we talked about at the beginning. It became a, a learning opportunity and, and the chance to really tell our story as an organization to make sure that we can keep that social license and help the community understand what a benefit that the tourism and hospitality industry is to a city like Kelowna and really the central Okanagan as a whole. And I love the concept of give them something to do while they're waiting for the personal touch because it shouldn't be an either or. Exactly. And I think so many times when we really go and double down on an information center, we're thinking about this is about personal. Yep. yep. Yeah. But if you Absolutely. can't get to them because there's, you know, thousands of people who are coming in in a yep. day. <laughs> so tell us some of the, the tech that goes along with the personal touch in your center. Absolutely, absolutely. So uh, one thing that's very low tech, um, we have five public restrooms that we put into the building. So we put a big cartoon style map of the area where people can sit and look and study and see the different activities and attractions um, if they happen to be waiting for the restroom. Um, we've engaged some local artists and local organizations for art pieces throughout the building that people can take a look at. And most of that, like I said, is tied back to that community sense of place. Getting into the tech side, we have 110-inch video display wall, um, along with a couple big 40-inch screens that show all sorts of different videos. Some are partner organization advertisements, inspirational pictures. Uh, you'll see my kids on there when they're little sometimes. And then the Google Home was a really cool one. That was a way that we said, how can we get people starting to think about what they can do and starting to ask the questions that they're looking for? And so we got a Google Home Hub with the screen. Okay. And you can actually say, hey, Google, show me the local, uh, nearest coffee shops. And on a Google Home Hub, it will actually pull up a Google map and show you the closest ones and they can select and, and things like that. So that worked out really well. We did have to put a little bit of constraint on it because some kids started watching YouTube and things like that. Um, <laughs> and then we just looked for other touch points. So we have a, a photo booth now where people can take photos and send them to themselves with Kelowna backdrops. We have a huge uh, 36 inch touch screen, which that one I have mixed emotions about. It works on and off. And then we started putting a few different iPad Pros throughout the space. So mm -hmm. again, people could start engaging with a piece of technology that had the Tourism Kelowna website until one of our staff or volunteers became available. Very, very cool. So part of what you said was the 
whole process of regaining your social license was partnerships that you also built with other organizations and with the city and the win-win relationships you've established that reinforce your relevance and their utilization of your talents that they may not have known before these relationships were founded. So share with us some examples of how organizational relationships are also playing through this community hub. For sure. So I have a few of them. Um, In 2020, our city, um, the city of Kelowna and our downtown Kelowna Association started a program where they extended patios on our main street, Bernard Avenue, downtown, to increase capacity of restaurants that were operating at 50% or less capacity. Mm -hmm. And that worked great. It was, they threw it together in a couple of weeks, launched it for one summer. For the next year, we talked to them about it and we said, hey, the Meet Me on Bernard program was great. The Downtown Kelowna Association and the City of Kelowna are fantastic at the logistics, operations, and involving the businesses in that area. Tourism Kelowna can bring the, the marketing side and the service side to this partnership. Why don't we strike a committee together this year and go at this together? And that was kind of an idea of a few of the people that were involved. And so now we operate a mobile visitor center right on the street. Mm -hmm. We help with a lot of the different marketing assets. Our team has done some drone footage and and several different things. Um, And it truly is a full partnership between the city, the downtown Kelowna Association and our organization. And we are now going into year four of that program. And this year it's going to be bigger and better than ever. We have concerts and activations and car shows and all sorts of different things planned. So that's one. And it's, all within a couple blocks of where the visitor center is located. Even better. So we're able to kind of create this little hub downtown that includes that building, the main street, um, and several other businesses. Another great example is with the Central Okanagan Economic Development Commission. I've learned in some of my CDME courses through Destinations International that not every community has a a great working relationship with their Economic Development Commission. I'm very, very thankful that we do here in Kelowna. A lot of it is realizing that, hey, we are doing the same thing. We are marketing this city to people that are not necessarily located here yet to try and generate economic development for our community and create a better quality of life for our residents. And so... We have partnered with them from our our meeting and conference side. And then from our community and visitor engagement side, we attend a lot of their events that they host here in Kelowna, where we actually set up a mobile visitor center on location. The COEDC staff, the Economic Development Commission, they shop in the Kelowna Visitor Center whenever they need gifts or welcome packages or anything like that. And it, again, has become this community hub where they can come and shop and it, it almost becomes full circle. Yep. Some of these businesses and artisans are potentially people that have been attracted here by the COEDC or Tourism Kelowna or someone else. And then the COEDC is here purchasing some of their products from the visitor center to give to someone who is potentially looking to relocate a business or whatever it might be. I could go on forever, but an, another uh, partnership I'll just touch on quickly is our with our Kelowna International Airport. Yeah. So we have been operating a visitor information kiosk inside the airport for about 17 or 18 years. But really over the last several years, our partnership with them has, has developed a lot. And we've realized, again, we are looking to do the same thing. So the airport engages in flight and route development mm-hmm. activities constantly trying to improve frequency or new routes and and destinations. And now we work together to target certain markets that 
we know as a destination organization are willing to travel here and the city and the Colonial National Airport have a little bit more information on where our residents want to travel. And so we can kind of pair that information together. And what started just as a visitor information partnership now includes that flight and route development. Uh, We just opened a retail store in our airport to, again, help tell that sense of place through the local artisan products and things that we can carry. Um, We partnered with one of our local clothing brands called Okanagan Lifestyle, which we thought, what a more perfect way to really help spread the the word of what it's like to live here and, and play here. And it just, I can't wait to see where it keeps going from here. Just fascinating. And you're absolutely right. And I know that for regular listeners to this podcast, this is getting to be old. But you've got all these other organizations. We're all really in the same game. And yet, whether it's ego or whether it's trying to protect turf, whatever it is, there's only one organization that knows how to do the stuff we know how to do. Yeah. And we don't understand how to make a deal in economic development, nor do we want to. Yeah. And we don't know how to, how to run an airport, nor do we want to. <laughs> yeah. And yet, for years, these other organizations have kind of looked at us like, yeah, what, whatever, you, know, you guys aren't relevant. Yeah. And now we're realizing that without the work of a destination marketing organization, their jobs are infinitely more difficult. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So... The power and the amazing things that is behind our marketing and communications. And really, we say everything we do as an organization is a form of marketing. But just the well-oiled machine that our organization has become, because that is our specialty. Yeah. And we partner with these other organizations that, like I said, are doing this already a lot of the time. But combined, the possibilities are endless. Yeah. It's funny. Back, this dates me terribly, but back in the 80s and early 90s, <laughs> uh, bureaus were doing a lot of event and festival production because that's what people expected that that was what we do Yeah, because that's what that brings in tourists. Yeah, And we, of course, we got away from that. And then I think that in the aughts, people kind of began to not understand what we did. And now that we move into, again, some DMOs doing events, yep. many DMOs getting into merch. Mm-hmm. And now, as you said, people come in and go, oh. I get it. Mm-hmm. And now they embrace us as an important part of quality of place and quality of life. Yep. And I think it's just great. Absolutely. Yeah. Congratulations. Let's get to your bonus round question. Okay. We've heard some pretty interesting first job and summer job stories on the bonus mm-hmm. round. Let's get inside your first job. You were a mm-hmm. beekeeper? <laughs> I was, you say with a very big question mark. <laughs> I've not met many people in life that have actually been able to say they were a beekeeper. But I, uh, yeah, when I was in high school, my first job was as a beekeeper. I, uh, since I was a little kid, I wanted to be a school bus driver was like my goal in life. Yeah. And so I kind of befriended my school bus drivers throughout my uh, primary and, and high school years. And my school bus driver happened to be a beekeeper. And one day we were chatting and he said, Hey, I've retired, but I still have a hundred of my own own hives and I need help. I, it, it takes a lot to feed them and, and relocate them and things like that. And I was scared of bees, but I said, you know what, if I get a bee suit, I'll give it a shot. And uh, it was, everyone talks about how bees are like what we need on this earth to keep biodiversity going. And what I learned about them as insects was mind blowing. Funny story though, 
one day we went to feed the bees at dusk because it was a Sunday and we had to do it because he was getting back to driving the bus on, on the week. And uh, we started feeding these hundred hives as it was getting dark. And bees really do not like it when you open up their hives and it's about to get dark and cool down. And I received so many bee stings on my arms through a bee suit because it was summer and I was not wearing enough clothing that he gave me a hundred dollar tip, which back in the day was pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> and I will tell you that was my last summer uh, beekeeping, but I'm, I'm glad I did it and I learned a lot. So what uh, was that, a dollar per sting? Basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, but... not to go too long with you and thank you for the time that you've given us, but when you say that getting to know the ecosystem of bees yes. was mind-blowing, Yep. Share with us some of the things that you learned that most of us have no idea. I think it really, that is what sparked my passion for kind of sustainability. Yes, from the environmental perspective. Now I understand it from social, cultural, and, and economical as well. But just in the fields and, and meadows where we would take these beehives and leave them for several months, the biodiversity of, of flowers and berries and things that we would see in that location several months later compared to places that I would drive by that were very similar but did not have a beehive was just mind-blowing because yeah. bees are really that piece, all, all insects, but bees especially, that just spread life. And then at the end, they make this amazing thing called honey, which we, I think, take for granted. But just seeing that over a couple of month period, the change that it would make, that's what was really mind-blowing to me. That's fascinating. Yeah. Well, listen, um, we are happy that you're not behind the wheel of a school bus uh, and that you're, <laughs> you're hanging with us and you're a, a great thought leader in our industry. And we really respect the job that you're doing up there and for all of us. So... Uh, um, it took a while to get you behind the mic, but it's a yeah. great story, and thank you so much for sharing it. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Bill, and uh, I'm happy happy to share any time. All right. Thanks, Chris. Okay. And thanks to this episode's sponsor, our friends at Carvertize. Last fall, when Visit Lake Charles wanted to target Austin, Texas with its culinary travel campaign, it used a secret ingredient, which is a fleet of ride-sharing vehicles that were covered with tantalizing images of Lake Charles. And while those cars cruised the streets of Austin, Lake Charles saw a 65% increase in web visitors from Austin and an 8% bump in overnight and restaurant sales year over year. Carvertize has helped hundreds of national brands and DMOs extend their messaging to where people live through a fleet of over a half a million wrapped Uber and Lyft cars. Place your brand and message front and center this summer with Carvertize. Check out the video at carvertize.com brands and look for them at the Destinations Florida Marketing Summit in Orlando later this month. And dmopros.com is where you're going to find more on our services to the DMO world, plus links to past editions of the Z News, our blog, our homepage position papers, the book Destination Leadership, the biggest DMO job board on the planet, as well as links to earlier episodes of DMOU. That's dmopros with a Z.com. Executive producer of DMOU is Terry White, and this is a production of DMO Pros. I'm your host, Bill Geist. Until next time. <laughs>